Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use, no doubt, starts now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for January the 4th in the year of our Lord, 2021. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, this is historic. We kick off a new year, and our goal always this year, as it is every other year, to promote God, family, and country, and to protect life, liberty, and property on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. We use the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution, the United States of America as our guide, and absolutely we're convinced the checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the founding fathers, one of the great peaceful restorative solutions we have at our fingertips. I also might add we reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Welcome to Liberty Roundtable Live. We did take a break on Friday and Saturday. We were live Thursday, New Year's Eve day. We played back some incredible broadcasts from the archives. In case you missed them, very good. We're live now. Welcome to the broadcast and Happy New Year to all of you. And so I don't have a recap of the news that I was refused to use, but the show notes are available on LibertyRoundTable.com and LovingLiberty.net. Check those out. All the archives are there and more. Liberal donations are welcome, we might add, especially in the new year as small business takes a beating uh, in the corona dishonest scare. They're trying to create a global jubilee, ladies and gentlemen. Don't let them do it. Welcome to the broadcast. I got uh, Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org with me, and he is broadcasting from the road today. Welcome, sir. Well, thanks for having me, Sam. Appreciate being here. Let's just do a quick recap. You've been uh, out of town doing some phenomenal work, right? Well, uh, if you can call vacation work, uh, yeah, that's certainly what I've been doing. My uh, family went down to uh, Mazatlan, Mexico for Christmas, and uh, we've been down there for two or three weeks. So I've sort of you know, forcefully, purposefully taken myself off the, off the news, and so I'm, I'm very interested in some of the things we'll be talking about this morning because uh, it'll kind of like get me back into the groove on, you know, what's happening in the world around me. What we found in, in Mazatlan, by the way, I mean, beautiful paradisiacal uh, place to spend Christmas, uh, by the way, but what we found down there were, you know, they were taking mask wearing uh, far more seriously than, than I thought, uh, you know, than I had ever seen in the States. I, I, I expected, you know, Mexico to be laid back and and everybody, you know, just uh, rocking, rocking without masks. But what we what we found was that in all stores, and this is in the state of Sinaloa, um, you you just couldn't go in anywhere, you know, without a mask. They wouldn't serve you if you didn't have a mask. You know, no, no shoes, no shirt, <laughs> no mask, no service. Um, but uh, you know, outside it was far more normal. Everybody on the beach where we were, you know, nobody had masks and. So that was really a, a return to normalcy in, in, in one respect, you know, in the, in the civilized, so-called civilized part of, of life down there, everybody wore a mask, but out on the beach and, you know, in the, in the palm trees and, you know, just in normal intercourse with people, uh, nobody had masks. And it was really a return to normalcy that we really enjoyed, Sam. And that's what you'll probably see America start to get to, too, where they'll be really hardcore on masks. They're going to start to double down on vaccines and if you have a vaccine card or whatever else, but it'll start to get to be a whole lot more normal outside. And I bet you're going to see a whole lot more of that in America. 
Well, and then I just heard on the, the TV this morning, we were listening to a couple of news commercials or, or news uh, briefs, and they said that, you know, is the, they were asking the question, is the handshake a thing of the past? You know, typically when you, you greet a person, you shake their hand and, you know, warm, warmly, uh, you know, it's a warm greeting. That's what we've done in my whole life. You, you shake hands with somebody when you meet them. And this, uh, this news brief was saying, well, is that a thing of the past now? Because we just don't want to go back to the days when we were, you know, passing the coronavirus, the so-called, you know, coronavirus among uh, each other by, by, by the handshake. And I, I thought to myself, just this just mere seconds ago, Sam, I, I thought, man, alive, what is the world coming to? Because um, I, I don't want to leave those days of, of the handshake and the warm embrace. I, I think God designed us to be, you know, normal people and human interaction and touch and feel and, you know, the warmth of, of another person. Uh, he didn't want us to be separate and cold and distant the way, you know, the, you know this, uh, this news report would, would lead you to believe, Sam. And I, I think if we're going down that road of cold distancing, I think it's a sad, sad day for, for us, as for humanity, Sam. Amen to that. And I, I feel like, you know, we can't take away those human interactions. I've heard, I went on vacation too, in a way. I helped my daughter move and I went to southern Utah. Uh, so it's called Dixie. And uh, some family members of mine are going to Dixie, which to all the international audience and people around the country, Dixie is a state university. And uh, they're going to get rid of the name Dixie because they say it's evil and bad, and smacks of slave ownership and everything else. They don't know what they're going to call it, uh, et cetera. And, you know, I, had a call, I think they ought to call it that cotton-picking university because no one can know a name for it, you know. <laughs> but then, of course, that just shows what a racist I am. See, I, I joke, but I'm making the point that we've just lost our minds. And um, <clears throat> my wife joked and said all they got to do is get rid of it and call it Pixie University. That would be <laughs> the simplest change. She's joking, right? You got Pixie State. It's like, oh, yeah, Pixie, yeah. But here's the real <laughs> problem, and, and this is where I think we've, we've got kind of a culture battle, uh, Lowell, that I think is serious. The university says we don't believe that the name Dixie is a bad name or a wrong name or a problem name at all. In fact, we believe it denotes the history of America, the history of of our dedication to the United States as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We came out here and it was a territory. You know, we gave tribute to the United States. We've been supporters of the Constitution forever. Okay, the history isn't really in question for the leadership of Dixie State University in Utah. But they said the reason we want to change the name is because when our, our students graduate and they try to get a job, they're being wrongfully uh, rejected from the job pool. Uh, because mm. when people see they're from Dixie State, they go, oh, boy, we don't. Mm, next. And, and as a result, then, they're saying we want to change the name because of that. And on one hand, I get their point. I mean, I, I understand which university would want their students to not be fairly looked at for graduation or for the honors of graduating in, in, in the job force. Who would want their applicants, applicants weeded out? So I get universities or the university uh, and, their, and their dilemma there. I also get that if we're not careful, though, we came to cancel culture. And, and this is a serious, serious problem. And so, you know, where do you go from here? What do you do? Right? On one hand, yeah. you don't blame the university because I, I can see their point. I mean, which university is going to say, yeah, come graduate from my university so you can have your job application yanked out of the out of the pool of apps so that, you know, because you're, well, Dixie, you must be some kind of a bad person. 
Um, never mind that it's been that way for well over a hundred year, 150 years more. Um, and so it's really a battle and it's a culture war at, at stake here. And the cancel culture is what's at the heart of it. But the university is almost a victim too, Lol. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right, Sam. And we understand the position of the university. They don't, uh, you know, they're in the business of creating graduates. They actually take money from, they accept money from students who want their university's name on their diploma so those students can go out and, and be breadwinners, right? Be, you know, be added to the labor force and, and, um, and, 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 and uh, be professionals in their, their industry, right? And so I understand that, that they're in the business of making money. That's what a university does. <clears throat> and that's all well and good. That's the capitalistic notion. It's, it's been sadly inflated tremendously because of the, the bailouts and so forth uh, and the student loan forgiveness and so forth. I think the universities have, have jacked up their prices significantly and, and priced a lot of people out of the market. But, you know, that's their business. That's, that's a capitalistic, uh, you know, uh, society. But, but you're, you're exactly right. The, the mores of our culture are undermined by this can, cancer culture movement. And and that was that's the goal of the Marxists, you know, from the beginning. If they can, if they can destroy your history, if they can destroy your memory of of your own history, then they have a much better chance of remaking the the current uh, body politic, the, the current culture, um, with uh, without the they would call baggage of of yesteryear uh, dragging along behind. And I think it's it's, it's a it's a travesty. You know how much I admire the South uh, for their stand. They were actually taking a constitutional stand. They were, they were, you know, they they didn't go to war for slavery, <clears throat> nor did Abraham Lincoln go to war against slavery. The, the the Southern states had withdrawn from the Union. They were standing up for this principle of self determination, which is precisely what the founders did in the 1760s and 70s when they stood up against Great Britain. They stood up for the principle of self-determination. And so South Carolina and several other states had withdrawn from the Union because they were not going to be, um, you know, steamrolled anymore by the northern states. The northern states had an absolute majority in the Congress, and they were getting railroaded, and the South couldn't brook that anymore. It was They just couldn't live that way anymore, and so they withdrew. Well, that's what the Confederate flag stands for me. That's what Dixie stands for when I think of the word Dixie. It's, it's a stand for self-determination. It's a stand for the Confederacy, which is really what the Republic was, 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 was supposed to be from the beginning. Was a it's Republic a stand Republic. for states' rights, a stand for checks and balances. The list goes on yeah. and on. Absolutely right, Sam. That's what it means to me. And so it's a sad day in my book when the university of, um, you know, Dixie State University, if they change their name, it's another sad day in my book, Sam. Amen to that. When we come back, I want to talk about, though, what does Dixie State do with the barrage of this? I'll tell you what I think they should do, but it's risky. Now, what should be done in this case when they're a victim also, a victim of cancel culture? We'll talk about it with Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org, in mere seconds. Have we realized the assault against our lives, our liberties, our faith? To defeat this assault, Christians 
and all people of goodwill should have strategies to prevail in our faith and principles, which are simple. No need for a complex formula. One goal, one aim. A strategy like the heroic Christians of the past. We win, they lose. Nothing less. Big Q, Little Q, The Calm Before the Storm by a friend of Megagoria. The strategy of heaven revealed. Big Q, Little Q, The Calm Before the Storm. Available on Amazon.com or by calling Caritas in the U.S. at 205-672-2000. for Moral Law is a nonprofit legal foundation committed to protecting our unalienable right to publicly acknowledge God. The Foundation for Moral Law exists to restore the knowledge of God in law and government and to acknowledge and defend the truth that man is endowed with rights not by our fellow man, but by God. The foundation maintains a twofold focus. First, litigation within state and federal courts. Second, education conducting seminars to teach the necessity and importance of acknowledging God in law and government. How can you help? Please make a tax-deductible contribution, allowing foundation attorneys to continue the fight. You may also purchase various foundation products as well at morallaw.org. Located in Montgomery, Alabama, the Foundation for Moral Law is a nonprofit, tax-exempt 501c3, founded by Judge Roy Moore. Please partner with us to achieve this important mission, morallaw.org. All right, we're talking about Dixie State University, ladies and gentlemen. It's in southern Utah, and man, it was named after the southern states, named after Dixie. And talking, of, you know, the idea was states' rights. Everybody understood it back in the day. The idea was you can't have the federal government just steamroll people. I know people think it was all about slavery. That was a minor piece of the pie. I'm not dismissing that. I'm telling you, though, that it wasn't the core component. It was states' rights and self-determination. It was the ability to say, hey, you know what? There are checks and balances here. And you know what? If you have the right to join the union, by nature of the Declaration of Independence, you have a right to leave. Uh, and what the federal government should have done to prevent the states from leaving uh, was basically not overstep their authority, uh, which is what happened, which is what's happening again today, uh, bringing about the same type of hostile views and reactions. The reason that I bring this up, though, is what is poor Dixie State to do? Right On one hand, you say, well, you should just remain strong and say, fly a kite, and over time, you'll be vindicated. R create you know, public service announcements that articulate all kinds of people going to Dixie State and highlighting the history of Dixie State and what it all means and what it is, and hopefully you'll prevail the culture war. The problem is what's likely to happen is you're likely to just be ridiculed and mocked and uh, eventually government might withhold money from you and eventually... Uh, you know, you lose the battle because you don't have enough media support and everything else. Likely, they'd get crushed. And I know that sounds sad, and I still think they should stand up regardless. I'd almost rather see Dixie go to a relic of history standing on the moral high ground uh, than losing the battle and staying alive in a sea of confusion. That's my opinion. Uh, Lowell, what do you think they should do, though? I mean, they're in a, they're in a rock and a hard place for sure. Well, they sure are, but you have to start somewhere, and I'd be, uh, you know, we have we already have lots of private 
universities standing up. Um, we have, uh, you know, the McClanahan Academy, for example, they stand up for the old monuments, the, the Robert E. Lee's and, and so forth monuments, uh, and, and they're making a very, very public statement about it. They're trying to teach, and they do so in order to teach true history. Um, and Dixie should do—they uh, should do the very same thing. Now, uh, I've said for a long time that we need state legislators with backbone, you know, with the courage to do what's right. If we had state legislators who understood the importance of standing up for the truth, regardless of cancel culture opinion, then— the Board of Regents in the state of Utah would not feel so – they would not feel compelled to, to make a name change. You talked about funding for the university. Well, that funding is done by the Board of Regents, and they're under the auspices of the state legislature. So if the Board of Regents felt that they could maintain the name uh, because they would continue to get funding from the state uh, uh, legislature, then they, they, wouldn't be, they wouldn't feel so much pressure to change the name. Um, and so we have to start somewhere. We need a public university to stand up for the truth, for, the, for true history, to articulate the message, what Dixie really stands for, and, um, and, 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 and it, it could be the first domino of several dominoes to fall if, if they would do that. So I'm with you, Sam. I think they should stand up, do what's right, and let the consequence follow, Sam. And believe it or not, they could, from the Rocky Mountains— literally explain the plight of the Southerner in the history of Southern culture and reality in a meaningful way that, look, this isn't that we you know want to crush blacks. This isn't about slavery. Look, this is about self-determination. This is about God-given inalienable rights. This is about the Declaration of Independence where all government derives its just power from the consent of the governed. I mean, this could be a real uh, opportunity not only to educate about Dixie and the historical context of Utah and Utah's, quote, Dixie. Uh, Utah grew cotton back in the day, even, by the way, just so people understand. It's a seriously warm uh, part of Utah that's really like the South in the United States. It's interesting how Utah kind of mirrors the United States in many ways. The East is quite liberal. <laughs> the, the North is quite extreme. The South is quite a, a little bit of a protester kind of a, a area and anyway the south is warm and they grew cotton back in the day and, and dixie's apropos uh, for sure but uh, anyway I, I digress except to say we could really highlight and provide the leadership for uh, some of the southern states in their positions about the don't flood uh, don't tread on me flags and everything else which says hey you know what this is about checks and balances and when checks and balances are simply obliterated by people who seek to gain power under themselves, we have a serious problem. And whether it's 18-something or 2,000-something, the same real fundamental constitutional issues relating to liberty or tyranny, relating to checks and balances and the solutions uh, are in the Constitution, that, that reality is the same today as it was then. And that's really the point we need to hammer home. Lowell? I totally agree, Sam. Um, as, as you and I have talked about this before, the, the Confederacy of States was a was a basically a group of states who, who wanted to join together for for basically two specific purposes. They wanted the general government to handle um, uh, they wanted to handle uh, defense, you know, common defense, and they also wanted to, to regulate commerce among the several states. There were thirteen sovereign, independent states in the beginning. 
and they wanted a, a general government that handled basically those two things, commerce and, and defense. And um, they didn't want them to stop commerce. They wanted them to regulate or to make regular the commerce among the well, states. They really they wanted, what they really wanted to do is use a term called reciprocity relating to commerce mm-hmm. and many other issues, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and by doing so, they would uh, then eliminate the, the tariffs that each state had on the other. I mean, back in those days, back in the very earliest days of, of the 1770s, uh, uh, 1780s, uh, was when, uh, you know, one state would, would tax another state's goods coming into the state. And, and, and they, what they basically wanted a, a free com- commerce zone. They wanted to be able to trade freely uh, between states or among states. And so they, they formed a general government uh, to do that and, and uh, also to provide for common defense. That's pretty much it. And and yet uh, the states held in in their own hands their own sovereignty for domestic issues, anything dealing with family law, you know, marriage, family, divorce, uh, education, uh, in, anything to do with with the common life. Ninety nine percent of common life was all under the auspices of the state. <clears throat> and we need to return to that, Sam. We, you know, the the current movement is toward global governance of of even nations losing its their borders, to, 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 to say nothing about the states losing their their borders. Well, in order to to put a draw a line in the sand or to or to pound a peg in into the ground, we need a state with backbone to set the examples, articulate the principles of the Confederacy, meaning the principles of of self determination for a state. And uh, that state then would handle all of the things dealing with the people. You know, 99% of all domestic issues the state would handle. And if if a, if the state of Utah could do that, it could be a beacon, you know, a light set on a hill, uh, and and other states would follow. We just need legislators with backbone. We need citizens like you know you and me, common ordinary day citizens who understand these principles to stand up uh, for them and. And uh, to talk about them, help other people understand. That's that's you know the cancel culture is is overwhelming us because we don't stand up and talk about this enough. So you know I'm just so grateful to you, Sam, and uh, you know to Liberty Roundtable and the network that you've formed, the Love and Liberty Network, uh, for providing the forum where these important things can be discussed. I I, I hear from people oh, every week, Sam, who who say I listen to your show every week. Because you and Sam are always talking about good things, right? And so it's because of you, Sam, and Kurt, and others that, that make this possible. We, the way that's the way we, that's how we win this war, Sam. We we educate and get every, get people on the same page, understanding the blueprint for liberty that we can we we can win this war. We can win over a remnant at least, so that when. Uh, you know, when, when bad times happen, we, we actually have a remnant of people who understand this blueprint for liberty, understand the importance of self-determination, and that <clears throat> remnant can continue regardless of what happens around us, Sam. And people need to understand, too, whether you like or dislike certain elements of our history. Ladies and gentlemen, one thing to remember is it is our history. And even though there's certain parts of our history I don't like, I still want to preserve it. Because jettisoning our, his, jettisoning our history doesn't do a bit of good to making us better people looking forward. What does best for us to look forward is to candidly review our history and embrace that which is right 
reject that which is wrong, move forward with faith and hope for the future, uniting all people under the God of heaven, knowing that we're all God's children and we should behave that way. So my look back at history is not an attempt to embrace the mistakes we've made. And my look back at history is not an attempt to try to get everybody to agree with anything that is wrong or any fly in the ointments. My goal is to have us candidly look back and be honest with ourselves about what was right and good and uphold it and what was wrong and bad and jettison it ASAP. There's a Republican speaking out about this. We'll tell you about that in seconds. Then I got an idea for the name of the university. What if you just call it Chick University? We'll talk about it. We'll explain why. There you go. Hang tight. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Lance Pride. The Washington Post on Sunday released audio of a Saturday phone call between President Trump and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, in which the two can be heard discussing election results. Trump laid out numerous examples of double voting, dead people voting, and suitcases full of ballots under tables being counted after observers were told to leave. Mr. Raffensperger later tweeted, Respectfully, Mr. President, what you're saying is not true. The truth will come out. House Democrats rallied Sunday to elect Representative Nancy Pelosi, the Democrat from California, as Speaker in the 117th Congress, her fourth term at the top of the chamber. The 216-209 vote was closer than most expected. Don't let the sun catch you crying. Jerry Marsden, lead singer of the 1960s British rock band Jerry and the Pacemakers, died Sunday of a heart infection at the age of 78. USA Radio News. Balance of nature's fruits and vegetables in a capsule, changing the world one life at a time. I've been taking vitamins off and on my whole adult life, and I've never seen any change. Not like this, not since I've been on balance of nature. I used to take prescription medication for uh, muscle aches and stuff. I don't take that anymore. I wish I would have started it back when I first heard about it on the radio. And if I can give Balance of Nature any advice, keep it out on the radio because I still hear these commercials from time to time and I'm thinking, you know, you people need to listen up. I mean, I'm over 50 and, you know, your body starts wearing down. But Balance of Nature has literally changed my life. It really has. Get a wide variety of all your daily recommended servings of whole fruits and vegetables without having to leave your home. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 1-800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code USA. The longest election cycle in U.S. history will be decided this week. Jeremy Scott has more. Senator Cruz of Texas and 11 other Republican senators plan to challenge President-elect Joe Biden's Electoral College victory on Wednesday. Senator Cruz tells Fox News this is an extraordinary time in our country's history. We've seen in the last two months unprecedented allegations of voter fraud. And, and, and that's produced a deep, deep distrust of our democratic process across the country. I think we in Congress have an obligation to do something about that. We have an obligation to protect the integrity of the democratic system. Republicans hope to establish a commission to determine who gets the Electoral College votes. We will together object to certification in order to force the appointment of an emergency electoral commission to perform an emergency audit of the election results to to assess these claims of fraud. They're calling for a 10-day audit of each state in question. From the USA Radio News Oregon Bureau, I'm Jeremy Scott. USA Radio News. 
All right, Dixie State in the state of Utah. I guess they're recommending the name change to the Utah State Legislature. Lowell Nelson campaigned for Liberty.org with me. He's absolutely right. We need legislative people backbone, that's for sure. What brought this all up? Well, when I saw that they're, they're going to change the name of Dixie, part of the reason they named it Dixie was because Dixie, southern Utah, was so far away from Salt Lake City back in the day that they felt like it would be tough for them to get representation, so they named it Dixie because they were kind of off in their own little world. They didn't have a lot in common with Arizona except for a little teeny strip of land, and they just felt kind of isolated and alone, so they called it Dixie. Wow, that really points to true history, doesn't it, ladies and gentlemen? Anyway, I digress, but a Republican congressman-elect, he's from uh, North Carolina. His name is Madison Cawthorn, and I guess he was in an interview with the Daily Caller, uh, and he basically was saying, hey, um, he sounded off about cancel culture, and he basically said, hey, he thinks it could be the end of democracy if we don't get this together. He said this in the Daily Caller. No, I don't agree with the end of the democracy. We don't even have a democracy. How could it be the end of it? But nevertheless, his point about cancel culture is right. And I'm concerned about the Dixie State name. Uh, recommended a change to the Utah State Legislative Body. This is serious. And what's at stake, ladies and gentlemen, is our history. What's at stake is, um, you know what? If you can't say Dixie... What eventually won't you be able to say? You see now there. Um, you're allowed to say all kinds of bad words. You're allowed to promote all kinds of immoral words and behaviors and whatever, but you can't all right, you can't say Dixie, but you can say gay. I mean it almost seems like one of these riddles, you know, if I go through the door with whatever and I can't go through the door and what? Huh? And and you get this crazy notion that we're falling for that eventually cancels our history and cancels our culture in ways that are certainly not healthy for the Republic. That's for sure. But I got an idea. Lowell, why don't we just say just like the Dixie chicks, they dropped the name Dixie cause it was racist. So now they're just called the chicks. Okay. So why don't we just call it chick university, man? <laughs> well, that's a fun idea, Sam chick university. That uh, comes to mind two connotations. Of course, my farming background, uh, ranching background, Immediately in my mind, uh, I see this beautiful little yellow chick, you know, the offspring of a chicken, right? I see chick. And then, of course, uh, my uh, my teenage years, of course, chick uh, meant uh, good-looking girl. So so, be, so alongside this uh, fluffy yellow chick in my mind, I see a good-looking, uh, you know, girl uh, wearing like a cheerleading outfit uh, with pom-poms uh, cheering the, the football or the basketball team. So... That's what I think of. Or you... just like all government schools backed by communism and money and everything else, you can just turn it into a party school, man. Hey, you want to go to Chick University, buddy? You can, <laughs> you can, you bring people in from all across the country, man. Isn't that the kind of trend of our modern day manipulation of the truth? Yeah, enrollments uh, among males, I think, would go up, right? All the males did want to go to Chick University to check them out. All right. Anyway, I don't recommend any Dixie State name change. In fact, I think they ought to double down, and they ought to educate about the history of who they are and why they're there. And eventually, if they're if they're smart, they could turn it into a badge of honor to go to Dixie State, and it would basically uh, highlight the history of, of who we are as a people, of the independent nature of our people, of our desire to work together as a country. I mean, it could illustrate everything. On one hand, how do you work together but create an independent streak? Believe it or not, 
the name Dixie articulates that. We're willing to be part of the republic. We're willing to work with others, but only under favorable conditions to all. Okay, these are principles that we could really, really hammer home if we had the gumption about us to get it done. Anyway, this congressman-elect, Madison Cawthorn of North Carolina, certainly nailed it. Missed the boat on democracy. That's a little bit of ignorance creeping in. But the point is well taken that, you know what, if we're not careful and we allow the cancel culture stuff to, to eventually what will you be able to even say and not say and do and not do and think and not think, that's where it's headed, Lowell. Well, and I hope that uh, the uh, anybody in the state of Utah who um, is listening to our program, I, I hope that we'll take the opportunity to call our legislators and um, and voice our opposition to this bill that's going to make its way into the the legislature. You know, the, the session begins later than in the month, um, like uh, third week or so this month, and so let's let's be vocal about this. Let's uh, talk to our legislators and and insist that they oppose this name change. Let's stick to our current name. Let's teach through history and educate our fellow citizens about what Dixie really means, what it stands for, and why it's so important to retain our history. You know, we learn history and retain our history to learn from our own mistakes. That's why we have our history. That's why it's so important. Not that we celebrate everything in our history, but it's to learn from our own history, and if we cancel all of that out, we will be anchorless. It'll be like a ship trying to, to, to you know, uh, anchor itself in port without an anchor. It just can't be done. We have to have the the mores of our own culture to do that, Sam. And let's all double down about when the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints leaders, the Mormons back in the day, when they were driven out of the state of Missouri by literally gun and bayonet, under a force of an extermination order under Governor William W. Boggs at the time, all right, the only people in America to be that abused, to be driven out, men, women, and children, by the force of an extermination order. That's never even happened to blacks or to the Indians. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not defending those mistakes either, but I'm making a point. No group has been abused as much as the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, okay, in America. Zero. None. Period. It's not debatable. Right now, but they still came to Utah, which was a territory at the time. They wanted to call it Deseret. The government wouldn't let them. And nevertheless, they then created a university called Dixie. Now, what's interesting to note is the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints were not a promotion of slavery group. In fact, they stood against slavery. And they taught that we're all children of God. And, And so I bring this up because if you understand the people that used the name Dixie, then you begin to understand that it wasn't about slavery, it wasn't hatred, it wasn't picking sides in the Civil War, but it was a double down in defense of states' rights. It was a historical reference to the lack of representation. It was an understanding of the checks and balances, and the history relates to that very thing. It also relates to a people who were literally abused by the government but remained loyal nevertheless. Very, very interesting counter to uh, what people understand and know. And I think that history could be taught to the whole nation and to the world, Lowell. I totally agree. This concept of self-determination really is a precept upon which um, the United States were built from the very beginning. The concept of self-determination, that our rights come from our God, not from government, not from any man-made institution, but they come from our God, our Creator. And 
in order to, um, and because they come from our God, then no earthly institution can can take them away from us, you know, without due process. That was the, that's just part of our blueprint for liberty was an understanding that, um, you know, this right of self-determination is is almost sacred. Uh, it is sacred. Um, and, and, and it's kind of a segue, Sam, into something else that I, that I could mention here. This, this concept of self-determination uh, relates a little bit to um, Gary D. Bennett's article entitled The Worst is Yet to Come, where he talks about uh, people today, we enslave ourselves voluntarily um, because we prefer security to freedom, you know, the, the security of, of being taken care of, you know, by government, basically. We, we prefer that instead of the turbulent waters of freedom where we have to be responsible for ourselves. This is one of the great bad things, in, in my opinion, Sam, about COVID. People, for some reason, they think government's responsible to keep you healthy. And I don't know where that concept came from, Sam. I, I, it, I didn't grow up that way. The government's not responsible for my health. The government is, is, is not responsible to keep me from getting some virus. You know, I, I just think that this, it's this uh, move away from the uh, responsibility, agency and accountability. It's a move away from that toward the security state, a police state, a totalitarian state where everybody can be taken care of. Oh, the government will take care of you. They'll give you a $600 bailout because they closed your business and now they're going to take care of you. And, you know, that's, that's the slippery slope that we're on, Sam. They, they want us to be dependent on them so that they can control us. I think that's the bottom line, Sam. I think that is, and I think it's also that we need to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that God-given inalienable rights are the key to America's success. Understanding that we have God-given rights vested in us as individuals, and then we willingly, selflessly, realize that we must work together to preserve those rights. And you'd say, well, I'm not giving up none of my freedom. And my response is, Bastier, the law teaches. you got to give up a little bit of that to work together. Where's that selfless balance that creates the greatest amount of liberty? That's what we seek. Your call is being transferred to the listening ear. Listening professionals dedicated to hearing you. Hello, listening here. Who am I listening to? Um, Carrie, but I was calling my mom. Yes, you were, but your mom was so busy, she felt it was important for you to have someone who could completely focus on listening to you and you alone. So she subscribed to our service. Go ahead, I'm listening. Well, I'm not quite sure. Where to start? Well, I can listen to school issues like science projects. I can listen to boy problems, although that's an extra $3 per call because of the emotional drain on me. How about we start with how you wish you had made cheerleader? I didn't try out for cheerleader. Uh, this isn't, uh, Mary? Carrie. I'm Carrie. Oh, oh, sorry. There is no substitute for a loving parent. And when you really listen, love is what they'll hear. From The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For more tips on strengthening your family, visit family.mormon.org. Can a nation conceived in liberty 
carry its head high if it denies protection to the youngest and most vulnerable of its citizens? Can a country founded on God-given rights continue to thrive without understanding that life is a precious gift from our Creator. As a physician, I have looked into the eyes of one-pound babies. I have cradled their small bodies in the palm of one hand. I defy those who are careless, who would disregard life and look at these tiny little miracles and say, we're not gonna protect that. But I believe there will come a time when we are all judged on whether or not we took a stand in defense of all life from the moment of conception until our last natural breath. One thing I promise you, I will always take a stand for life. All right, Lowell Nelson, campaignforliberty.org with me. So it's Gary D. Barnett, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right, you're breaking up a little yeah, bit. Hopefully, we can get you squared away here. Gary D. Bennett from Montana. Bennett. All right, it's not Barnett, huh? Uh, well, it might be Barnett. I, I could be wrong. But All right, anyway. I think it, either way, he wrote a column You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. The Worst Is Yet to Come, right? Yes, it is Barnett, yeah. And at the start of that article, the reason I bring this up is at the start of that article, he mentions that, you know, a lot of the abuses and the trouble we find is not brought on by despots uh, who are abusive and brutal or, uh, you know, whatever. It's brought on by our own weakness oftentimes. We want to consider ourselves the victims. We want to hope we can get some crumbs from the master. We want to try to just dodge it and stay out of harm's way. And 90% of the problems of the brutality in this world are caused by that behavior. Uh, to think otherwise is foolish, he explains. Uh, that's kind of the start of the point, right? Yeah, it really is uh, the point. Uh, we it's, it's a voluntary enslavement. It's, it's our own fault for, um, you know, it's our own weakness. Uh, this, this preferment I mentioned just before the break where we prefer security to the chaotic, sometimes chaotic and turbulent waters of freedom. Um, because that freedom involves responsibility. We have to be responsible for ourselves. We, 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 we can't you know, rely on government to, to save us from our own mistakes. That's the turbulent water of, of freedom, of the free market. And, uh, you know, we really need to, if we're going to be free, then we need to prefer the chaotic and turbulent waters of, of responsibility. That's, that's what, you know, God intended for us when he... I mean, he gave us our agency and, and made us accountable for the decisions that we make. And yet, too often, and I think this is Barnett's point, we prefer the, the, um, uh, the security to the animating contest for freedom, <laughs> as, as, as said by the founders, right? I mean, and when we prefer that security, then we're accepting the control of the state. <clears throat> um, and, and that's uh, that's diametrically opposed, I believe, to the blueprint for liberty and the vision of, of, uh, of that the founders had when they, when they wrote the blueprint for liberty and established freedom in the several states. They wanted us to continue that today, and we have a duty to do just that. We have a duty to take care of ourselves, to take care of our family, and to be responsible and to 
uh, face the consequences for our own decisions, our own mistakes. And when we when we avoid that and we prefer security, then we're actually voluntarily enslaving ourselves. And uh, you know that's why Gary wrote this, this article. He says the worst is yet to come. Basically, the 2020 was simply a prelude to the end of America. Those are sobering words, sobering ideas, Sam. But I think we need to address it squarely so that this is not the end of America, of our self-determination, our experiment in self-determination. We have to have this continue, Sam. Amen to that. And I find it interesting when this North Carolina congressman warns of the cancel culture, of Dixie saying, well, we don't really think the name's racist or anything else, but because our job applicants after college, their their degrees aren't very valuable because everybody wants to think they're the bad guys. Then you ask, do you believe in self-determination? Then you say you ain't seen nothing yet. The worst is yet to come. Gary D. Barnett. Now, here's the next headline that I find really scary that I've been warning against till I'm blue in the face. Most talk show hosts want to ratchet it up. It's time for a revolution. I say, no, it's not. It's time for a restoration of the greatest country on the earth. It's time for a peaceful solution via the rule of law. Now, will we be able to obey the rule of law and, and maintain our liberty? Time will only tell, but we can certainly try and pray for that. But here's the headline. Quote, Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell's home in Louisville, Kentucky, was vandalized with spray paint over the weekend. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's home was also vandalized over the weekend. So you see it with your leaders. That's the start. And I don't know if it's the right or the left or who's doing it. I don't know if it's agent provocateurs doing it. All I know is eventually, hey, if that starts to trickle out to cities and then to towns and then to states and then, you know, Look, we're in serious trouble. They've already spent millions of dollars in, in what, Seattle, Washington, and, and Portland, Oregon, and other places like that where the riots have been so extreme they just absolutely destroyed private property and been backed by government officials, etc. Uh, you know, we got a serious problem, Lowell. Well, and that's being uh, fueled by the uh, defund the police movement. <clears throat> there have been a number of cities that have, um, you know, when they say defund the police, they're they're not talking about, you know, stripping the police entirely. They're just saying we're not going to give you increases. At least that's my understanding of defund the police. But, but in some cities, they actually have removed some of the funding from police, and and there've been a lot of police who've simply retired, um, gotten out of the police force because they're they they're not being supported by their uh, municipalities anymore, and because of that, Sam, the increase. In crime rate, <clears throat> I mean, there has been an increase in, in the rate of crime in large cities. So Seattle, Portland, uh, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Chicago, Atlanta, all of these big cities are seeing a tremendous, a precipitous increase in the rate of crime, uh, burglaries and arson and uh, vandalism and theft and so forth, uh, because good people um, are not standing up to... Uh, and making their 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 voices heard at the municipal level, um, you know the the best government is closest to us, and so we need to make sure that we're vocal with our own municipalities, our own county commissions, and 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 make sure that we do fund uh, ne- the necessary police power. And, and when I say necessary, I'm talking about not necessarily law enforcement because I don't like 
law enforcement. I want peace officers. I don't want law enforcers, but but I do want justice. If someone you know, destroys someone else's property, then they should be brought to account for that, and it does require police force to do that. So um, I, I lay this at the feet of the the Democratic governors and Democratic mayors predominantly. There may be some Republicans in there too, but predominantly it's those people who have have uh, defunded the police forces in those localities, municipalities, where the greatest increases in crime uh, is 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 being seen, Sam. Now let's be very clear about this too, Lowell. I am not a friend of Mitch McConnell. I think Mitch McConnell represents the swamp as much as Nancy Pelosi does. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not friends with uh, Mitch or Nancy in any way. I don't know that I can even think of anything I've agreed with them on at all. Okay, so you would think guys like me would be clapping at this. But I'm not clapping at this at all, ladies and gentlemen. Let me make this very clear. I condemn, in the strongest of terms, violence and or uh, vandalism done to any property, okay? And I don't care if it's Nancy Pelosi's property or Mitch McConnell's property. I don't agree with them on anything. But I will defend their property rights, and I will say that vandalism of either of their properties is absolutely wrong, and I completely condemn it. Now, here's what I find interesting. There's people out there that run around and say, I'm the one that's engendering the violence and cranking up the vitriol. and It isn't true. The truth is, I think vandalism of anybody's property is wrong. I can disagree with Mitch and disagree with Nancy all day long, but I'm not about to resort to violence and or uh, the vandalism of their property. I'm just not willing to do it. I'm willing to stand against it completely. I would go into a press conference with Mitch and Nancy and say, this has got to stop. Okay, because this isn't acceptable to anybody. Because here's the, the point, folks. It doesn't matter if I agree with Mitch or Nancy or anybody else. What we need to do is defend people's rights to think and believe as they want. We need to defend private property all the time. We can't be sunshine patriots and pick sides and play games. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. I don't know how many ways to say it, Lowell. Well, there are three great planks of Marxism, Sam, and the abolition of private property is one of the three chief pillars of that ideology. And the more... You know, the more we go down this road and allow the destruction of private property, then the further into Marxism, communism, we descend. So not only, Sam, do we defend the right of private property for the sake of the property owner, but we do so for the sake of the entire country. Every one of us is hurt when anyone's property is damaged. If someone comes and vandalizes your house, Sam, that hurts me as a property owner because your property has been uh, maligned. It's been damaged. And so I I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Mitch McConnell um, uh, or Ronald Reagan or uh, uh, Joseph Stalin. If, If any of those individuals have private property, that property is sacred to them, and it shouldn't be vandalized and any vandal that vandalizes their property should be brought to account for that and repay they they should re, you know make amends and and restore to the property owner whatever they damaged 
Um, and and so you know, you and I are on the same page there, Sam. Now here's but what I it, find fascinating, Lowell. A lot of conservatives won't bring this up as an example. They won't give credit where credit's due. They won't stand up boldly to say this is not about people. This is about principle. This is about understanding the principles of liberty and embracing them. Absolutely right, Sam. Uh, this is the principle of liberty because without private property, there is no liberty. The founders were very clear, crystal clear on this point. Without private property, you do not have liberty. And um, I don't have the quotes right in front of me, Sam, but, but, I, but we could go back and we could talk for an hour just on the principle of private property and how important, how much of a key, how integral that was to the, the freedoms that, uh, that we hope to, to maintain in this country, Sam. All right, there you have it. Quick uh, switch gears right before the end of the hour. We know you got to fly. Um, what do you think is going to happen uh, on April? Or I'm sorry, on January the sixth. There's um, plans in Washington D.C. I hope it doesn't turn into violence and rioting and the destruction of private property. But I hear it's supposed to get rowdy. I was going to go, but I'm, I don't want to be in the middle of the rowdy stuff. I believe we have a right to peacefully assemble, but I don't even really believe we have the right to quote protest. Now, I know some would say they're the same thing. I kind of disagree. When does a protest become a Mild riot versus a disobey the cops versus a, the cops of the enemy versus a, and now we destroy property and eventually get violent. And it's a very slippery slope from the right to peacefully assemble as the First Amendment articulates versus this protest of modern day that we seem to talk about. The two aren't even close to the same. We ought to do a show on that sometime. But nevertheless, what do you think is going to happen, Lowell? Well, I think it's uh, I, I, I think the deep state is not willing to let Trump uh, serve another term. I think he's slowed him down. He's hampered him. He's been a, a fly in their ointment. <clears throat> they are not going to let him win this um, this uh, a second term, Sam. I pray you're Thanks. wrong, but predict you're right, brother. Godspeed. Thank you, Sam. Love to be with you. Thank we'll you. talk soon. Thank you, sir. There he goes, doing a phenomenal job, as always. Lowell Nelson, campaignforliberty.org. Next hour, the doctor in the house. I'm Sam Bushman. This is Liberty Roundtable Live. LibertyRoundtable.com, LovingLiberty.net. Spread the word and tell your neighbor. Hard-hitting talk is free. And we declare this nation shall endure. God save the Republic of the United States of America. Atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Radio Show. Talk Show. All right, happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman, live on your radio. Hard-hitting news that it was refused to use, no doubt, starts now. This, this, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for January the 4th in the year of our Lord, 2021. This is hour two of two. And the goal always to protect life, liberty, and property. And to promote God, family, and country on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed, we use the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution, and the United States of America. And make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, I'm convinced the checks and balances are brilliant. 
And one of the great peaceful restorative solutions we have at our fingertips, we reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Welcome to Liberty Roundtable Live, ladies and gentlemen. All right, the doctor's in the house. Dr. Scott Bradley's with me. Welcome, sir. Hope you had a delightful uh, holiday, uh, what, New Year's? Well, yeah, we had, uh, you know, a bunch of good things, mostly getting together with those you really care about. Uh, family members being around you is an important thing. A lot of people missed that this year. They uh, were hunkered down and bunkered up as covert cowards. But at any rate, uh, we enjoyed our season. <laughs> well, I love to hear that. There's so much to cover, so little time. As you know, Wednesday's the big day where the Congress is going to determine whether they believe there's serious vote fraud and whether they're going to investigate or whether they're going to shut that down. There's a lot breaking to that. There's a lot of news that relates to this. And um, the first one that you should know is that 11-plus senators, led by Ted Cruz, uh, are going to go ahead and challenge this thing. 11 Republican senators led by Ted Cruz announced on Saturday that they would object to the certification of the state's electoral college votes when Congress meets on January the 6th. Congress, they say, should immediately appoint an electoral commission with full investigatory and fact-finding authority to conduct an emergency 10-day audit of the elections in the disputed states. Now, that's what the uh, document signed by, um, I guess, Ted Cruz, 10 other GOP senators signed. Now, what I find fascinating about this is I don't see Mike Lee or Rand Paul among them at all. Now, that doesn't mean they may not be fighting for it. I'd have to go search other articles and stories to know. But it seems like we just have Republicans everywhere that are just kind of throwing everything at the wall they can possibly throw at the wall to solve this problem, and I personally think they're going about it all wrong. Uh, anyway, I don't know what's going to happen on Wednesday, but they say there's going to be a bunch of protesters in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday. Uh, they say it's all going to go down. Time will tell what happens, and it's wall-to-wall news coverage. I don't think they're really hitting on the headlines of the principles at all here, uh, but they're running around crazy uh, every which way, hoping for desperate answers. The Democrats are now saying there's a phone call with President Trump is twisting people's arms, saying, find me votes. Uh, The battle rages, in my opinion, none of the uh, positions are staked out uh, morally and properly at all on this thing, Uh, Dr. Bradley. You know, the complexity and the uh, obfuscation and everything else uh, becomes more and more uh, kind of obtuse every moment, it seems like. Uh, What should have happened was four years ago, there should have been a full investigation that kind of fell on deaf ears. Nothing happened. Here we are trying to do in days what should have been done uh, over years, perhaps. And, 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 the, and in, Trump's defense, in Trump's defense, he tried to create a commission to deal with this, but he got shut down and he didn't have the fortitude to stand hard enough back then. Well, that's true. And it's kind of like some of these big bills. He says he's not going to sign any signs. I mean, there's there's plenty of things that could have been, should have done uh would have been done. I, I don't know. We're in a real disaster right now. But but basically what's happening uh, in the House and the Senate and will happen on Wednesday, I mean, I've always said Trump's chances of, of uh, 
coming out of this thing as the second-term president have been slim and none, and uh, emphasis on none, but slim is still a chance. And so here's kind of the way— And, and, and the, even though we don't believe there'll be success, it's because of the immorality— and the lack of involvement of the people. That doesn't mean he shouldn't do what's right every time. He should, and he can, and to a great degree, he is, right? Well, yeah, the election integrity should not be a partisan thing. This should be something that every single American that, that cares about the preservation of our great republic would like to see integrity brought back into the system. And it, it would seem that the allegations of election fraud are unprecedented this particular election. And it's not to say there hasn't been problems in years past, and we can document them quite well. And, and we know a lot of people that have held high positions in this country were there fraudulently. I mean, so, that, but, but the fact of the matter is, it seems like this is a high-profile, widespread kind of issue that we need to get to the bottom of. And, and the thing is that the, this whole COVID facade has been, uh, you know, really used to maximize the probability that this kind of confusion would occur. They've cobbled together elections all over the place. They've violated the principle. They've violated the laws that are associated with it. And that's the basis of much of the problem that, that uh, is being brought forth and nobody's seeming to be willing to hear, you know, that... Uh, the Constitution requires that the state legislatures are the ones that assign a lot of these things. It's been done by courts and by executives in many instances, by guess and by golly, and, and neither the courts nor the executives have the authority to do it. And and uh, not, nobody is a monarch in this thing. There's a process by which it goes down. But at any rate, what's probably going to happen on Wednesday, and it has happened before, and the Democrats have been at the basis of most of the things that have happened, and for example, 2004, 2016, they they had uh, attempted to you know raise uh, opposition in this same manner. But what has to happen in order for it to be you know to go the process that we're hearing about nowadays is that there has to be somebody in the House, there has to be somebody in the Senate that says, "Hey, wait, 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 I I'm not so sure about this." And if that happens. Then they split into both bodies, they debate it for a couple hours, they vote on it, and then they come back and um, decide whether or not they're going to certify the votes. But the fact of the matter is, in times past, the Democrats were not able really um, to either get a, a, a senator to go along with it, or when it went to the other, both houses, there was an overwhelming landslide of victory in favor of, of what was brought forth by the uh electors on the Electoral College. So what would have to happen is that both House and Senate would have to agree that there's no, that they're not going to certify the electors, and then the 12th Amendment basically would start to be applied. But but that's kind of the process, and again, it's very slim and none, but we have working on the periphery of this thing. A lot of people are going to be in Washington, D.C., demonstrating and everything like that, and, and the state of the nation at this point is is pretty tenuous. We are at a hinge point in this nation, I say. We've got a lot of angry people. Half the country hates the other half. Nobody seems to care that the uh, principles are applied. They seem to care more about party things. We forget that, that our loyalties don't run to parties or to individuals even. Our loyalties should run to the principles that allow liberty to continue. And And that's where we're in a big problem right now is that and we should We've simply a, say, based on principle, you know what? Those are my friends. Those are who are on the right side of the principle. Every time, I don't care who it is, if they're on the right side of the principle, 
then they're an ally in this. And if they're on the wrong side of the principle, then look, I don't wish any hostilities, but I will simply do my very best to articulate, pray for, advocate for, do everything within my power to back the proper principle. That's how we should view this, right? It is indeed, and and there's, I mean, it's it's like what's going on in Portland right now. Um, with the over the New Year's Eve, the Antifa guys came out again and started throwing Molotov cocktails and busting things up and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage. And it's kind of like, no, 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 wait a minute. That's the kind of process they had in in Germany in the 1920s when the so-called communists and so-called fascists. I mean, they're both socialists. It's just one gang against another. We're trying to raise to ascendancy, and that's kind of what's happening right now. We've got gang warfare going on, or low-grade guerrilla warfare, whatever you want to call it, and and it's it's really destructive. I mean, both the the anti-fascist and the anti and the, and the uh, anti-communists were both wrong, and they're wrong today, and that's the problem we've got. It's a destructive process. It's Marxist in its origin, and. And whether you're saying you're anti-fascist or you're a, whatever you're calling yourself, it's destructive of the baseline principle. And that's not what America's about. That's not what we were given by the founders at such great cost and under the inspiration of God, in my opinion. But, but today, people have been educated in the public education system for so many decades that people don't have a clue. I, I had a discussion at the end of last week with someone, a, a lengthy discussion that has a degree in constitutional law. And in his opinion, there should be basically violence. Uh, and, I mean, we should it should be a revolutionary period with violence in the streets. And I'm saying... I completely cow, wait, wait, wait. reject that notion. Well, I agree, but that's the... This one is... This guy that I had a discussion with feels like there's been enough offense given that it's, it's the time, time to take up arms, and he anticipates it'll happen. And I... I pray it, he's wrong, so and I would predict he knows nothing about the evils of war to the point where he would, he, look, we need to avoid that at all costs. Now, I get I that it might be you. forced on us. That's a different discussion. I'm not saying we should whimper down if we're forced, uh, but at the same time, I think we should do everything we can to peacefully avoid it. Appealing to our God is the start of the exercise. We indeed do, and we have so long time avoided that approach uh, that I'm afraid that a lot of people in America today don't even give God a thought if all of the biblical problems came up they they wouldn't even have any any connection to the fact that maybe maybe god has something to do with this we've just avoided that completely it sounds like we've got to take a break liberty roundtable live in seconds ladies and gentlemen as a parent is receiving a faith-based character-focused education for your children difficult to find Do you believe that godly principles should be a central component in your child's education? Imagine a school where faith and integrity are at its center, where heritage and responsibility instill character. For over 40 years, American Heritage School has been educating both hearts and minds, bringing out academic excellence. This is the school where character and embracing the providence of a living God are fundamental, where students' national test scores average near the 90th percentile. With American Heritage School's Advanced Distance Education Program, distance is no longer an issue. With an accredited LDS-oriented curriculum from kindergarten through 12th grade, your children can attend from anywhere in the world. American Heritage School will prepare your child for more than a job. It will prepare them for life. 
To learn more, visit American-Heritage.org. That's American-Heritage.org. Scott Bradley here. Most Americans are painfully aware that the nation is on the wrong track and in dire straits. Unfortunately, most political pundits only nibble around the edges when they claim to address the issues. Even worse, many of the so-called solutions are simply rewarmed servings of what got us into the mess we currently face. And the politicians think we're so gullible and naive that we'll buy their lies that they have reformed and now understand where they led us astray. Unfortunately, the truth of the matter is that they simply wish to continue to hold power. The solution to America's challenges is found in returning to the timeless principles found in the United States Constitution. My book and lecture series will reawaken in Americans an understanding and love of the principles which made this nation the freest, most prosperous, happiest, and most respected nation on earth. Visit to preservethenation.com and order my book and lectures to begin the restoration of this great nation. I want to dedicate this song to Mr. Rupert Murdoch. I think they're going about this all wrong, ladies and gentlemen. I understand President Trump has the right to fight for honest elections, and I think that he has appropriate push to Congress to accomplish that. I think going to Congress is the right thing to do. I'm fearful that violence is going to break out into the streets, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm fearful that it's not going to be a fun deal. I know we think we're not far, or we think we're far from a civil war, but I submit to you that we're closer than we think. And it may not be an all-out civil war at this point, but it certainly could strike at the very heart of the constitutional republic and upset the checks and balances that make our country so peaceful and so great. Dr. Scott Bradley's with me. His website, freedomsrisingsun.com. And 11 Republican senators led by Ted Cruz are saying, hey, we're not going to accept the results. We're going to challenge it. Mo Brooks leading the House effort January 6th on Wednesday. This is what's coming. Now, Vice President Mike Pence's office just released a statement saying that he welcomes Republican lawmakers who intend to raise objections on January the 6th. Vice President Mike Pence shares the concerns of many Americans about vote fraud, etc. And I also have uh, a healthy dose of desire to get rid of election fraud. We know that it's going on. We know that it's been going on for decades. We know that it's a problem. And I commend President Trump for trying to get to the bottom of it. And I commend uh, these lawmakers. But in Utah, you got Mike Lee silent on the matter, as far as I can tell, Uh, waffling a little bit back and forth. You got Mitt Romney whacked out Mitt completely going against any effort to challenge election results, him and Mitch McConnell. Uh, And while that goes on, people are gathering in the streets of D.C. to the point where they're locking things down left and right. There's a big concern. Now, here's the latest headline from my buddy Cliff Kincaid at usasurvival.org. The headline says this, CIA mobilizes against President Trump. Trump may invoke Insurrection Act if things get too violent, da-da-da-da-da-da. Now, Dr. Bradley, I think we're going about it the wrong way. For us to look to nine judges to solve our election fraud woes, we're looking at the government the furthest from the people, unless you count global government, that you can get. The weakest branch of government was supposed to be the judiciary. The nine-robed thugs, not even willing to touch the case with a 10-foot pole, claiming they don't want to make things political but they couldn't get more political in their jettison of their dereliction of their duty. At the same time, though, I blame the people. We should be looking at just the opposite solution. What we should be doing right now is going to our precincts. That's the closest 
quote, government to us. We should be jettisoning Republican and Democratic parties. And we should say, look, those parties aren't even government. Forget what they think or have to say or their involvement. They're just muddying the water and polarizing the people dishonestly. Let's go back to the precinct. That's the local, the most local government you can get. Um, there's about 3,000 counties in America. <clears throat> there's 50 states. But there's about 175,000 precincts in America. And the average voter precinct has about 800 voters in it. How many voted? I don't know. Just say 600, 500, whatever. You could literally demand in your precinct at the most local level of government, you need to prove to me that there's custody of the ballots and that you can duplicate with valid votes the number that you've submitted. If they say we haven't submitted, everything went straight from the machines to the state, then you say we have fundamentally circumvented uh, the checks and balances that made America great. And if 175,000 Americans were to demand this in their precincts and they were backed by two or three or four or five more Americans who said, we want to see the count. We want to verify vote custody. We want to recount manually what's going on here. You can get to the bottom of this very quickly. Um, Even if every precinct wouldn't do it, enough precincts that could prove voter fraud on the local level. In my precinct, Sandbush was this teeny neighborhood. Hey, if you can't prove to me that the valid ballots, then we're going to challenge your number and you can't turn in that number. Okay. And, but we're going about it all wrong. We're going to the biggest, furthest away part of government to supposedly solve this thing. We can go to our precincts and challenge it precinct by precinct by precinct and prove it fairly easily. Either you can prove the ballots or the votes, are, the votes are valid and you have custody of the vote or you cannot. And if you cannot, then we simply say that your obligation, your duty to do so. And they can say, well, mail-in ballots circumvented all that. And my response is, if we're going to allow the circumventing of our precincts, and we have no precincts anymore, and we're going to, you know what, ignore the state's statements and go to the federal government, then why have any of these checks and balances or entities at all? Then don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting getting rid of them, Dr. Bradley. I'm making a point of checks and balances and a point of the government that governs closest to the people governs best and if we can't challenge it at that level we'll never get to the bottom of it sir well i've always said that uh, the whole solution is with we the people if we're fools as a people we elect fools and that's kind of where we've been for so many years so many decades uh that uh, that this has become a beauty contest instead of anything that's principled based at all and, and uh, you know i've dedicated my life i know you you have also to trying to bring forth this this approach to things the uh, the the challenge really is at this point that the uh, compression of time is upon us, and uh, and I I think that the, what the senators that are pushing for this that Cruz is leading a ten day, and Pence has has agreed that it's a, it's a good solution. I I would like to get to the bottom of it too, and I'd like well, to I, I think they should continue. Don't, I think they you should bet. continue. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just proposing what I think would be a better way from the start and in future elections. Well, I agree. The fact is that I've always promoted the idea of going back to vintage classic paper ballots that are voted within your own little neighborhood, you know, your precinct. And it's uh, they have uh, eyes, uh, election watchers' eyes on it all the time. They're counted in front of multiple people and everything like that. But what, where they're kind of going with this at this point is a 10-day uh, review, which would have to be a very heavy compressed time, but it's still possible. But back in the 1876, 
process. They, they would appoint, if they really came down to push and shove right now, five senators, five congressmen, and five Supreme Court justices. And that was a whacked out thing how that turned out, too, ultimately and finally. But the fact of the matter is, uh, that's the process they're attempting to go into. I think the chances of that are very, very slim. I think the probability that uh, violence occurs is probably less with Trump supporters than it would be for Biden supporters, because you have all these uh, peripheral groups that have been rioting in the streets since last summer that uh, I think would probably be more likely to take it to the streets, but there still is a possibility. I mean, like I say, this young man I talked with for an extended period of time at the end of the week, uh, I mean, he he's extremely intense, a Trump supporter, and and uh, he's he thinks it's it's time to take matters into their hands, and uh, I mean the that the people take them in a way that would be violent. And so we're in a very very compressed time frame. We're we're in a difficult decision. It should have been done four years ago. It wasn't done four years ago. Um, but this is not unprecedented that there are co- challenges to the Electoral College vote. In 2014, we had it. In 2016, we had it. So the Democrats tried it then. So it's not like the Democrats are trying to paint this, that this this guy named Trump that won't, won't accept his defeat is doing something that no one else has ever thought of before. They've tried it, and um, but they, they couldn't gain traction. There's far more reason for traction this year than there ever has been. No uh, question. What do do you think about my idea, though, to go back to the precincts? Look, you could go back and demand that they certify the vote, literally, before vote watchers. If they can't duplicate it, then you vote manually. Uh, You use paper ballots. In every precinct, an average of uh, 800 voters, uh, usually not even 800 turn out, so 600 voters. If you literally had, you know, 12 people counting, or just say 10 people counting to make it simple, 10 people counting, and you had, you know, two or three people on each from each, quote, venue or, or not venue from each, um, you know, viewpoint or whatever you want to call it. You know, you might have, um, you know, 10 counters and and 10, 12 people from each county. You might have 100 people in there all separated, but they'd only have to count about 60 ballots per precinct. You could literally get it done in probably two or three hours tops and everybody could be satisfied that the votes are legitimate. And you could confirm that they can either, one, prove the custody of the ballots and that it's legitimate, or be forced to recant and resubmit new numbers. Um, You could do this precinct by precinct very easily. But if you jettison the precincts, and then if you jettison the states, or you jettison the county, or you... And then you say mail-in ballots and this and that and that and the other. And, well, hey, these ballots are in question, so they've got to be submitted digitally for adjudication elsewhere. And that's where the disaster comes. What you got to do is demand it be back to the precinct level and demand proof of custody of votes to the satisfactory uh, viewpoint of all involved. Uh, this could be done very easily. It would not take months to count. It wouldn't even take days to count if we divide up and use our greater numbers and true transparency to solve the problem. Am I crazy on this? Uh, let me tell you, I'm not suggesting you're crazy, Sam, but let me tell you, the re- the reality of it is, and I wanted to go back to the precincts and everything, but the eight counties have not even done their reports two months from the election. I know, but it, but it doesn't change the point them. that if we could, and morally and constitutionally, what I'm proposing is the answer. If we don't do that, what where what do we return to? Let's ask that question.
pursuing liberty, using the Constitution as our guide. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Lance Pride. Miami-Dade police say two gunmen randomly opened fire at a Miami park on Sunday night, leaving eight people injured, including a 16-year-old boy. The shooting broke out around 7 p.m. local time at Little River Park. The department's public information officer said two individuals walked up to the area and without provocation drew weapons and started shooting into the crowd. The suspects are still at large. By a vote of 216 to 209, House Democrats rallied Sunday to elect Representative Nancy Pelosi, Democrat from California, as Speaker in the 117th Congress. Ten former U.S. Defense Secretaries declared that the U.S. presidential election is over in a public letter published in the Washington Post on Sunday, as President Trump continues to claim election fraud in swing states. A growing number of congressional Republicans are siding with the president and plan to object to Biden's win during electoral college counting on Wednesday. USA Radio News. Newsmax TV. Everyone is watching it now. President Trump says he loves it. And more than 30 million Americans tune into Newsmax TV. With great shows and analysts like Dick Morris, Rudy Giuliani, Michelle Malkin, Diamond and Silk, Mike Huckabee, Alan Dershowitz, and a lot more. Every night you can watch Newsmax's number one show, Greg Kelly Reports. Greg Kelly and Newsmax are unafraid to tell the truth about the election. How big tech is censoring you and Joe Biden's dangerous plans. You need to watch Newsmax TV. Get Newsmax on all major cable systems or check your guide. If you don't get Newsmax, call your cable operator. Tell them you want Newsmax. And remember, Newsmax is free on Roku, YouTube, Apple TV, Zumo, TiVo Plus, Pluto, Chromecast, and most smart TVs like Samsung and LG. And don't forget to download the free Newsmax TV app. All other cable news channels ask you to pay, but Newsmax's app is free. So start watching anytime, anywhere in the world. As coronavirus vaccines continue to roll out, the battle against COVID-19 is far from over. USA Radio News' Jeremy Scott reports. The U.S. has surpassed 350,000 deaths from COVID-19, the highest death toll in the world from the virus by far. New York has recorded over 1 million cases, the fourth state to do so behind California, Texas, and Florida. Dr. Anthony Fauci on ABC's This Week says the U.S. is behind its goals on getting the population vaccinated. There's now a about 4 million. We wanted to get to 20 million. But some little glimmer of hope is that in the last 72 hours, they've gotten 1.5 million doses into people's arms, which is an average of about 500,000 a day, which is much better than the beginning when it was much, much less than that. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio says the city plans to vaccinate 1 million residents by the end of the month. From the USA Radio News Oregon Bureau, I'm Jeremy Scott. USA Radio News. All right, so I'm proposing we need to take this on precinct by precinct. That's the most local level of our government. Right now, we're relying on the parties, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, and the rogue thugs up at the top. They're not even really in the game, as far as I can tell. Uh, But if we don't go back to paper ballots and force a recount and force accountability at the precinct level, I don't think we have any level that we can challenge that will be successful. I say for the future, whether we can get it done this election or not is a question, but in the future... Going back to paper ballots at a precinct level, manually counting with transparency, is our only hope for accountability in votes. Uh, Dr. Bradley, what do you think is the way back? How how do you think we should best uh, go about it? I know I bring this up and folks seem like I'm kind of crazy, you know? 
No, I, I'm I'm confident that uh, going back to the basics and the way you're suggesting uh, is is the long-term solution. I suspect that what they're going to need is a quick-term solution this year. The Constitution uh, uh, that determines constitutionally the inaugural date of the 20th of January. You know, we're we're a couple of weeks away from that right now, and um, and I suspect that if we tried to do a a reballot kind of thing with uh, this paper ballot and everything in the next few days, uh, we would we would have all sorts of difficulties with that. I suspect that the same battleground states that we have right now, the same corrupt municipalities, would have the same problems there as they've had. We've watched the, the ballot counting things that happened in the middle of the night when they got rid of ballot watchers and everything. I, I suspect you're going to have a similar type of corruption at this point now, uh, uh, if in the next few days. I mean, we're a couple of weeks away from the 10th. And I I wish and I hope and so on that there would be a a true uh, pushback, that the votes would not be certified, that there would be uh, uh, an attempt at this time to get to the bottom of it. I'm really disappointed in the fact that Americans have paid so little attention for so many decades that we're at this point where... We really have a very high-risk thing where the probability of success is, is, like I say, slim and none. Uh, but we do have to go back to the way you've proposed. The the precinct is where to solve it. We, the people, really is where to solve it. you got to go but, back even But your point really is right now it's probably too late for that approach, even though it may be the correct approach long term. I think so. Uh, sadly, I mean, What do you think I'm we not... should do now this, this election then? I hope that there'll be enough people that get a backbone in the Congress to say, wait, 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 there's enough smoke out there. There might be a fire. Let's let's do everything we can. Now, again, I'm not very confident in anything that comes out, whether it's the Warren report for the Kennedy assassination or the 9-11 commissions or, or the, you know, the Oak City bombing or the TWA 800 shoot down or the KAL 007 shoot down. Every single time we try to get somebody to look at things like that, we really do get a whitewashed job that's politically motivated. And and it's because we have stepped away from principle. We've gone with party and we've got with loyalty towards individuals. And and Americans are going to lose this nation. It's slipping through their fingers if we do not pay attention again. And and, uh, this, like I say, I've said it a number of times, this is a hinge point in America right now. And... and, uh, it's a tragic travesty of what may end up have to be paid to get us back. Some are saying that the deep state CIA is mobilizing against President Trump right now, and if there's violence in the streets in D.C. come Wednesday or you know around about Wednesday, that Trump may invoke the Insurrection Act due to the violence, etc., and bring in the military, etc. Do you think that's realism possibility or no? Oh, I, I think it, it would be. The, the D.C. is a federal location, and uh, and those kinds of federal troops could be there. I, I think back in the days I was in the service, back during the moratoriums on the war, during the Vietnam thing, there were troops formed up uh, with bayonets and live ammunition. Uh, I mean, one of the groups I know of was uh, at uh, the Jefferson Memorial. Uh, these are people in web gear and all ready to go. And uh, it got called off. But the fact of the matter is, we've been close before when these things have gotten really sticky. And um, 
an individual, well, like I don't need to tell any war stories or anything like that, but the fact of the matter is uh, Washington, D.C. could could have some uh, pushback and, and good people, people that have never seen what could how messy things can get may get a wake-up call, and it's just, it's a tragic thing. I think it's less likely to happen with the Trump be, people being offended than it is with the Biden people being offended. I think that there's a there's a anarchist viewpoint that, that seems to be, if you will, using the, the description, I hate left-right dynamic, but uh, it's what most people understand. I, I think we are kind of, kind of, in a in a pickle right now, and but I I would hope that there's enough uh, courageous ones, which it doesn't sound like there will be. The people like Mitch McConnell, who is trying everything in their power, and the Mitt Romneys of the world trying everything in their power to throw the fight. Um, that that it's it's probably not going to go the way that a lot of people are in favor of Trump. What Trump would like to see it happen again. It should have been years ago that we started on this track, and and it comes down to Sometime the piper gets paid, and, uh, and and you just can't continue to kick the can down the road, whether it's a national debt kind of thing or or getting out of the, the warmonger mode that we're in in America. You can't keep kicking it down the road and not have repercussions. And again, um, God's a patient God. He's, he's a lot more patient than I am. But sooner or later, um, there's a point where you say, well... <laughs> This is such a mess that it's not going to sort itself very easy. Amen and to that. Check, that. Check this out for a reality check. Mackenzie Sadecki, writing for USA Today, USA Today, writes the following headline. D.C.'s surge prompts closures through mid-January. USA Today, they're talking about closing restaurants and stores and everything. Their whole goal is to prevent the people from being able to gather uh, at all. And so now the... Folks that are gathering in D.C. are saying, hey, bring clothing, bring, you know, supplies, bring. But if people are going to camp out and bring a bunch of supplies, you can bet it'll get rowdy much faster because people can't get out of the cold. People can't eat. People don't have proper ability to, to, to bathe or to, uh, you know, go to the bathroom. I'm just telling you, this is a recipe for disaster, even though I know they're saying, well, let's close and maybe the people won't come. But if the people come anyway, it'll make it nothing but worse. Yeah, if you have a big camp out in Washington D.C., they're not set up with the infrastructure for sanitation and and food and all those kinds of things. I mean, and if you've got a lot of people with a lot of emotion, um, you know, we used to have a saying. Well, Vince Lombardi used it a lot. Fatigue makes cowards of all men. Meaning, if you get too tired, your judgment starts to wane. You know, you start becoming so worn down that you start making stupid decisions. And anyway, it's. We're we're kind of in trouble. I, I don't I, I don't think that there's a real easy solution because we have let it go so far so long and been so apathetic, so complicit, so uncaring, and that's kind of where we are with everything. I mean, amen. So here's the question: response. How do we report on all these things in an appropriate way, but not go negative ourselves and and, and give people some hope and some positivity, some solutions, some answers? And I think it's in the way we deal with things, the way we respond and what we do with our time. So I'll give you an example. Complaining about this vote fraud thing. I'm not attacking Trump or Pence or the 11 senators or that are trying to solve this problem. I'm commending them. At the same time, I'm pointing out, I believe, a better long-term way for real answers, real solutions. Is that being negative? 
when it comes to the D.C. surge? Am I being negative to bring up that they're closing places down and suggesting that if it turns into a campsite, it will be worse? Or am I bringing reality to the table in hopes that somebody will come to their senses uh, and, and not ratchet this thing up? Okay, I don't, I don't know how to report on this, but be positive at the same time, uh, Dr. Bradley. You know, the, the, uh, probably, I mean, maybe a lot of your listeners will remember Pollyanna from the old Walt Disney movie where this girl in the movie put everything in a positive spin and it was shackling her shirt and coated and everything like that. The reality of some things is that we got to do what we got to do. I mean, sometimes there's grits and there's there's a kind of an abrasion that, that goes through the thing. Liberty uh, is not something that you, you get served on silver platters and lavender sprays and whisk brooms. You get served this where there's a price to be paid, and, and we have been unwilling to pay it. And I think there's a, you know, we've got to get some liberty calluses, if you will, and we've got to put some work into this thing. It's a spiritual thing, too. The People don't have spiritual calluses. They, they just seem to kind of go along and, and assume that, you know, things are always going to perk. We don't have anything in our DNA that says we are absolutely always going to be free. This is something that has got to be earned every single generation. And it's been so many generations that we've wavered from that, that I, it's a reality check, I guess, right now. And I pray that it isn't have a, a final solution, if you will, uh, and uh, be the real death knell of, of our true republic. We, we, it's, it's resilient. It's got a way back. But to say this is just going to be whisked away by a whisk room, it's not going to happen. There's going to be hard things. As Kurt Crosby always warns, we need to jettison parties. Turns out in a 216 to 208 vote, Pelosi was reelected as House Speaker. Nine people, no, four people changed votes. It would have changed the outcome. That's right. But I'm not so convinced that a Republican Speaker would be much better. No. That's the problem. There are solutions. We'll talk about them. Okay, girls, about finished with your lesson on money. Daddy, what is a buy-sell spread for gold coins? Well, when you sell a gold coin to a coin shop that's worth, say, $1,200, you don't actually get $1,200. But don't worry, we're members of UPMA now, so we don't have to worry about that. Daddy, what if somebody steals our gold? We don't have any gold at the house. It's stored safely in the UPMA vault, securely and insured. But the S&P 500 outperformed gold. Daddy, gold is a bad investment. Some people do think of it that way, but actually gold is money. And as members of the United Precious Metals Association, we can use our gold at any store, just like a credit card. Or I can ask them to drop it right into mommy and daddy's bank account because we're a UPMA member family. Find out more at upma.org. That's upma.org. Why don't we say to the government writ large that they have to spend a little bit less? Anybody ever had less money this year than you had last? Anybody better have a 1% pay cut? You deal with it. That's what government needs, a 1% pay cut. If you take a 1% pay cut across the board, you have more than enough money to actually pay for the disaster relief. But nobody's going to do that because they're fiscally irresponsible. Who are they? Republicans. Who are they? Democrats. Who are they? Virtually the whole body is careless and reckless with your money. So the money will not be offset by cuts anywhere. The money will be added to the debt, and there will be a day of reckoning. What's the day of reckoning? 
The day of reckoning may well be the collapse of the stock market. The day of reckoning may be the collapse of the dollar. When it comes, I can't tell you exactly, but I can tell you it has happened repeatedly in history when countries ruin their currency. All right, Sam Bushman, Dr. Scott Bradley with me, ladies and gentlemen. This is very interesting. Government orders Jesus on T-shirt censored as political speech. Jesus holds no political office and was not on the ballot, says the person, the lady committing the lawsuit now. Bob Unred, WND.com with a piece. It says this, a lawsuit was filed in federal court against the city of Hart, Michigan. After officials there ordered a t-shirt message about Jesus censored. The case developed when a Margaret Whitman, she was a poll worker there, was wearing a shirt and she was relieved of her duties for her refusal to hide her shirt that said, my heart will trust in you, Jesus. Uh, she basically wore the shirt. They said, hey, you can't do elections and wear that kind of a shirt. You got to get out of here. They literally kicked her out. And she said, hey, man, my heart will trust in you, Jesus. And she was working at the polls. Now, they say the case seeks a declaration that the city's practice of censorship violates the U.S. Constitution. And an order preventing further enforcement is what they're seeking. I think this is correct. Not correct the government did this, but correct that she pushes back. So they say she can't have a Jesus, you know, T-shirt while she's uh, working at the polls. I submit that she's right on this one. And these little battles are why we're where we're at, doctor. Well, indeed, we are at this problem in, in large part because we have abandoned all the foundation principles. The, the First Amendment is violated uh, at this uh, situation with speech as well as religious. But the fact of the matter is that for many years now, and I look back, for example, at the uh, September 2016 release of the U.S. Civil Rights Commission report, 296-page report, we've talked about it before on your show just briefly, where the... Um, findings of this uh, commission where the, the religious liberties of people need to be defined as narrowly as possible, and it is to foster this idea of other created, quote-unquote, rights that, uh, that the government is coming up with constantly, and the religious part of it would get in the way of that, and so they're trying to define them as narrowly as possible. And as uh, it's moving that direction very fast. Governments have almost always been the biggest persecutor of, of religions, and government power was to be contained and constrained by the First Amendment, was recognizing the right of the people to worship as they would. And I tell the story all the time about the group, the, the Congress, the House and the Senate, that passed that amendment, became the First Amendment, about a religious liberty. That same day that it was passed, they mandated, if you will, by direction uh, that uh, the president declare a, a day of thanksgiving and prayer for the entire nation. They were not trying to make an adversarial relationship with God. Uh, what they were trying to do was, was recognize the hand of God, but not have a national religion. So, so what we have now is a national religion, taxpayer-supported, called secular humanism. It's taught K-12 
through 12, and then you get into the institutions of quote-unquote higher learning, where they become temples of the religion. And uh, that is where America has gone. We have become a godless, de facto society that does not worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and and we're taxpayer-supported in that, our public education system. We, we really have abandoned what the founders intended, and we could talk all day long about the days of fasting and prayer that the American founders engaged in, the purpose that they even came to America, whether it was the uh, Mayflower Compact, they came for the furtherance of the Christian faith. We could talk about the Pilgrim-Puritan migration. Thousands upon tens of thousands came here for that purpose. This whole thing is upside down and backwards right now, and, and this manifestation of what happened to this poll worker is, is just the tip of the, it's not even the tip of the iceberg, it's just a snowflake on the iceberg. America is becoming a godless thing based upon official policy, not the hearts of the people particularly, because I've met a lot of really good people that, that trust in God, but the fact of the matter is the official uh, procedure and, and the formula is that, that they're going to subvert it. It's We're on a bad track here, people, and, and we need to push back and go back to the original intent of the American Founding Fathers. I think it's kind of more negative to bury your head in the sand and ignore where we are. Uh, and to be Pollyanna and propose solutions that aren't going to work and that don't have a prayer of, of real long-term change, uh, I think that's more negative than to point out the re- the brutal reality of where we are, but point to real solutions. Well, I, I agree. The real solution is a return to the foundation that was laid and worked for so many years, and, and since we have strayed so far, it's going to be a little bumpy road because you have so few people that really understand that the the government position is not to be adversarial to God. It's it's something that we've been taught that so long, and, you know, whether it's the different groups that, that exercise political authority or they, they have attorneys or whatever that are fighting this thing, there is a, a great secularization of America, and and the thing that's tragic is that secular humanists recognize themselves as religious humanists in the sense that that it is a faith-based system. And and just because you don't call their God Allah or Jesus or whatever, it's it's the wisdom of man that has come to be our God. And and this thing we're doing, for example, with the COVID thing, we're worshiping scientists and physicians and pharma companies uh, instead of recognizing where we really are on this thing, and, and we're hoping for salvation from politicians and pharma and physicians and scientists, that it's not going to give it. I mean, I, I look at, for example, the, the take rate among healthcare workers on this vaccine. There's a very high re- rejection rate. People are saying, I ain't going to do this. It was developed in warp speed time. It's unproven. There's no long-term you know, side effects kind of reviews. There's there's no double-blind placebo tests on this thing. This is using a technology that we've never tested on humans before. It's had a very bad effect on animals when we've done it in the past in some instances. And and people are saying, oh, well, we're still going to be saved by pharma and scientists and, and politicians. And it, it's just not the case. We've got to do a realignment of our... Uh, We've got to turn to God Almighty and repent. We've got to turn to God Almighty and pray for guidance and direction. We've got to move more towards self-governing individuals based on families. 
Families are the fundamental unit of society, and if we make families strong, society will mirror that reality. If families are broken and melting down everywhere, so will society be. Uh, and the reality is that God, family, and country and the protection of life, liberty, and property are key. And we need to turn to government that governs the least and governs the closest to the people. That's where real accountability is restored. Without those fundamental realities, uh, I'm afraid that we're always searching for a new solution but never coming to the knowledge of the truth, Doctor. You know, uh, I've been reviewing from a personal perspective that I have an interest in it, as well as there have been some others that have contacted me about it. Governance is something that is almost least understood in America today. Our our ideas of government and its size and its uh, power and its focus in our lives has become almost a central theme in, in the United States. And, uh, and it's not the way it was ever intended to be. Government is is kind of a bare minimalist kind of thing in America that has, it's a necessary evil, it has specific delegated powers and none else, and, and it's not to take a place of, of all these things you've talked about, the central family and the belief in God and all those kind of things, our honesty, integrity. Government has become kind of the central theme of America, and I've been looking at governance, and there are a few that know how to do it. And, and you go back to the... Um, Franco-Prussian War and the 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 uh, Paris Commune that happened and and how people were at the head of the government there that had no more clue about what was needful for government than they could take fly it uh, you know they could take a flying leap and be better off than any of the decisions they made and and but America is kind of approaching that and and I'm just it's a tragedy to me because we have had such sound principles we've had. They're they're easily obtained uh, if someone as simple as myself can grasp them and say, "Oh my gracious, these work! Everybody should be able to." But we have abandoned that in favor of of a leviathan that will not provide salvation, and that's kind of where we are in America today. And and boy, oh man, alive! It's it's not the happiest tune I've ever been able to sing. <laughs> but we got to go back to the way it was and and should be now but there is hope though when we have the checks and balances still in the supreme law of the land we have not thrown out the supreme law so it still exists there's vertical and horizontal checks and balances that can chain down government and we the people if we turn to our god in greater numbers uh ask for protection repent change our ways and and become a self-governed moral people uh you know what in our families that's the way back and yeah, there is no is. other substitute. Anything else is nothing but a farce. And, and it, it's a false solution that will not have a happy ending. I mean, you know, you talk about these fairy tale endings that are happening. We're on a track that, that just is not a happy ending for, for this nation. And, and you say, well, what do we do? Well, everybody needs to take a personal responsibility in it, every single individual. Uh, start in your your own heart, and then go uh, into your family, and into your community, into your church, and and start embracing these things. Uh, because, well, where do you start from? From where you are, you know. If you're in Salt Lake City and you want to get to New York, you can't start in Cincinnati. I mean, <laughs> you start from where you are, and and you start making the journey from there. And that's what Americans have got to start doing. And and. It's not a magic wand kind of thing. It, it will work magically once we start going back to the principles. But, uh, I mean, I say magically not because it's magic, but because but because they're so 
predictable and so successful. And on a national you know, the, scale, I think it starts with the respect for uh, the pro-life issue is where it starts. If we can't protect the most innocent among us in their lives, what will we protect? Well, absolutely. And there's so many issues just like that that I'd say, holy cow, yeah, we got to fix this and this and this. Let's look for a second at the welfare clause in both the preamble as well as the Article 1, Section 8, where, where we this welfare clause is brought. Everybody says, oh, yeah, welfare, that's what it's all about. Well, welfare in the Founders' era did not mean the dole and redistribution of wealth. The way they used welfare was a, they were creating a government that was predictable and provided a stability. Okay, and then everything else worked. That's where government is there to stop the foreign invasions, the civil unrest because of injustice, the burning down of courthouses or whatever. The idea that there's going to be an economy based upon a sound financial model, you know, real money, not fake money out of the Fed. I mean, we could go on and on and on how we've strayed from this, but but the welfare clause is a predictable, stable society that government was to be successful in so that you could do what you wanted as a husband and a father, as a business owner, as a mother, as a wife, as a farmer, anything, you could say, I'm going to go, I'm going to put my energy into this. You and and think, I'm pretty confident. You can think of the welfare clause as the well-being of the nation. Without redistribution of wealth, it is there to make sure that we don't have intervening uh, catastrophes. There's which a is level, where we are now stale playing field. The nation is sound and stable and honorable and transparent. The well-being of the nation is how I would describe the welfare clauses, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Scott Bradley, thank you, sir. We'll talk soon. Great. See you then. FreedomsRisingSun.com, his website, to preserve the nation, his goal. Search for it on the internet. He has a collegiate series of how to preserve this nation. Incredible stuff. At his website, FreedomsRisingSun.com, you can check out his weekly webinars, Q&As, and more on the Constitution. For Dr. Scott Bradley and Sam Bushman, we declare this nation shall endure. God save the Republic of the United States of America.